What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm joined today by Ben Heller. If you are not familiar with Ben, um, he is going to be on today. He just finished the season as a reliever in the Atlanta Braves organization, um, being up with the big league club for a good chunk of the second half of the season um, and having a lot of success there. Ben has had a 10-year uh, professional baseball career um, and has really gone through a lot over the past several years, and he really stays uh, or shares a lot of his baseball story today um, going through this. If you're not familiar with all of Ben's story, we have another podcast uh, with Ben from maybe about three years ago that you can go back and listen to. Uh, but today is, is honestly incredible. Uh, ben is incredibly generous with his time. It is about an hour episode. It's a little bit longer. Um, and even with that, we didn't get to everything I wanted to cover. So we might do a second one of these uh, later this off season. But Ben really shares a lot of what it's taken to continue to develop over the course of his incredible career at this point. Um, he talks about the mechanical changes he, he's made. He goes through what his pitch design process is, gives a lot of specific advice for high school players that want to develop and get to the next level and what you need to be working on right now to continue to improve um, going throughout your high school and college career to try to make it to the big leagues. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are joined by Kinetic OG, Mr. Ben Heller, for his uh, repeat podcast performance. I think we recorded the first one, man, it had to be three or four years ago after... Yeah after Tommy John now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very, uh, very appreciative of you taking some time to come back this year. Yeah. Always fun to sit down and talk shop and yeah. And talk about how, how this year went for me. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you're not familiar with Ben, I'll include the links to his last podcast, um, that he did with us, but he's a, a major league reliever. He's pitched for the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the twins, the Rays, and now the Braves, um, and had a, very, um, you know, successful career for a relatively, uh, late drafted pitcher, um, and really been able to stick in the game. What, like eight, this was year 10, year 10, holy cow, decade of professional baseball, uh, which is just unbelievable. It is hard to believe. Yeah. I mean, if I would have told my younger self that I'd be, that baseball would be my only job for 10 years out of college, I don't think I'd believe it. No, I mean, people just don't understand how difficult it is. And that's some of the stuff that I want to get into a little bit. So I'd really love to kind of recap. You talk about like your your baseball story or your baseball journey um, all the time. And I know these last couple of years have been you know, some ups, some, some really huge highs this season and some really kind of low lows over the past couple of years. Um, Do you just give the folks like a little little overview of what the last couple of years of professional baseball have been like for you. Yeah. So 2017 was actually my last full healthy season that I played from start to finish before this year. Um, so 2018, I had Tommy John surgery and, and yeah, so we rehabbed that and, um, I, I made it back to the big leagues from that in, uh, in 2019. Um, but you know, still kind of ran into some, some injuries and, injuries started to bounce around my body, you know, went from the elbow to the shoulder, to the back, to back to the elbow, to the forearm, you know, just, I just could never quite seem to stay fully healthy. And, um, and so in 2021, I, I signed with the diamondbacks, went there for spring training and I was rehabbing my back when I went in and 
rushed myself trying to get ready for the season, you know, trying to make the big league team out of spring training. And I ended up um, blowing out my elbow, stress fracture in the elbow, which cost me the, the entire 2021 season. And um, that was kind of, for me, a point where I thought maybe, you know, this actually might be the end. Um, but I ended up sticking with the rehab you know, committing to basically just getting healthy and seeing what would happen. Um, I ended up getting healthy about halfway through 2022 and signed a minor league deal with the twins. That did not go well at all. Results wise, <laughs> I felt, I felt pretty good. Um, my stuff was back to, you know, it, my stuff was at a level that I felt like I could pitch in the big leagues, but I was, my command was all over the place. I, I just didn't have any feel, you know, I hadn't pitched competitively in, in a couple of years and I ended up getting released by the twins at the end of 2022, um, before the season even ended actually. So I, all that, you know, basically two years of rehab to sign with the twins and I was with them for about a month. And that was, that was, um, I guess, probably my lowest point of my baseball career. And I was very seriously considering hanging them up at that point. Um, and I, I think I still would have been fine, you know, if I, if I would have done that and I was ready to turn the page and I had gotten healthy, which was my commitment to myself. I didn't want to let the injuries be what ended my career. Um, and, and I did that, but eventually, or I guess, so that off season, which was, I guess, roughly about a year ago, this time now going into 2023, um, I was fortunate enough for the, for the Rays to show some interest in me and I ended up signing a minor league deal with them. And, um, you know, which led into this year, which we can get into, but yeah, I guess, you know, just the last three or four years, five years even have basically been filled with injuries. Um, not a lot of time on the field, a lot of questioning, if I still wanted to do it, if it was still worth it, um, you know, the return on investment of the time that I put into trying to get my body ready, it was, it seemed like it was dwindling away. Um, but ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful I did stick with it because this year was super special for me and, um, yeah, made all that, all the, all the low points really, um, really worth it. Yeah. No. And I think that's, um, awesome. And kind of, I want to circle back to a lot of that, um, some of the, the that story and what you learned in terms of the mechanics and changes and things that you did that way, but let's you know at least talk about the highlights and yeah. and uh, not the only reason that we're talking today, but um, got traded to the Braves um, during the middle of the season essentially, and then ended up getting called back up, and not only getting called back up, but really getting called back up and absolutely shoving. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. what was it like to actually make it back and get on that mound and then really perform? Yeah. It was surreal, to be honest. It was, it, it's hard to put into words, you know, exactly how I felt. Um, pitching any game in the major leagues is just such a, an incredible feeling. It's such a, such a rush of adrenaline and dopamine and satisfaction and pride, all these, you know, really good things, like just to pitch in a big league game at all. But um, to, to be able to do it after going through this, sort of adversity that I had, uh, made it even more enjoyable. And I felt like I actually really appreciated it more than maybe I did the first time around. Um, you know, when I was with the Yankees, just having so much more perspective of how fleeting a big league career can be and how, you know, how fortunate I am or anybody is to pitch in a major league game. Um, but 
Yeah, it was. Yeah. So in spring training this year with the Rays, um, my, my stuff, you know, my velocity movement location, everything really started to trend up. And I, I could tell in spring training that I was actually the best pitcher that I've ever been personally, you know, at, at 31 years old, I was the best pitcher that I've ever been in my life, which I'm, you know, that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of because that's, that's everything that's within my control. You know, all the, all the work that I put in directly influenced how, how, you know, I was able to throw the ball, all, all the rest of, you know, circumstances and the the business decisions, all that's kind of out of my control. But, um, I, I could tell in spring training that, you know, I, I was going to be able to hopefully do some, some really cool things this year. And so I ended up starting the year in AAA for the Rays, pitched really well there, you know, velocity held, held pretty strong. And then, um, yeah, got traded to the Braves and, and shortly after that got called up and I, I kind of, I feel like I had the mentality of, I'm just going to go out there. Like I have nothing to lose because I don't, I'm just going to go lay it all on the line. Every pitch is everything I've got. going to have fun with it. Just going to see what happens. And I, yeah, I ended up doing really well. Um, just kind of dominating guys really. Yeah. That was, uh, you were just on an unbelievable hot streak there. Those, uh, first few games up. I think my, mm-hmm. my favorite, <laughs> my favorite, uh, text exchange was, and you had one outing that you had three strikeouts and one walk. And I was like, that's I texted you. I was like, that's a classic, <laughs> classic Ben Heller inning. Yeah. And, uh, I think your response was the other guy would have struck out too, but he leaned in on one or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, he didn't want any part of, of trying to hit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, I just want to stop there for a second for any of the high school kids, which I think this whole podcast is going to be like required reading for, or listening for anyone that we, um, work with that plays baseball, but, you know, just think about what Ben just said, that he's been a professional baseball player for 10 years now and feels like he's continued to develop to the spot that he is the best pitcher that he can or that he's ever been right now. And I just, talking to so many kids, I don't um, know that you have to fall in love with the process and you have to fall in love with like being good, like continuing to work on yourself and control what you can control. I, I have so many conversations that's like, the pitching coach had me do this or the, I should have started over that guy or this thing happened, like worrying about results and like things that aren't out, that are outside of your control versus like just do the work and focus on being the best that you can be and not just being satisfied with like, Oh, I'm a varsity starter. So I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. well, not if you want to play college baseball, not if you want to, you know, do this for the long run, like you have to keep working. You can never just feel like, Oh, I've, I've arrived. Like I've reached my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you nailed it with you have to fall in love with the process. And I think that's true with anything in life, anything that you want to be exceptional at, you have to fall in love with the process. Um, but I think the temptation is to focus on the destination and think about, oh, why am I not there right now? Or try and, you know, seek affirmation of like, oh, I, I'm on varsity. That means that I I basically made it like no, like zoom out, look at the bigger picture of where you were, where you're trying to go and the process of, of what it's going to take to, to get there. And that process and the journey itself, I think is what it's all about. So yeah, I think for me, I, you know, I fell in love with the process of, of developing as a baseball player from, 
the time I was in probably sophomore in high school. And every day, every day of my life since that time, I have tried to structure my life in order to make, you know, 1% improvements a day or, you know, whatever, 0.1%. Yeah. Just get a tiny bit better in some way every single day. And those, those improvements will start to compound over time. And, you know, before you know it, you're going to look up and you'll be in the big leagues. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, just really, really good advice. And, um, think every high school kid should re-listen to this little five minute section, like every day, <laughs> um, uh, cause it's, it's really good. Okay. So another high of the season, I'm sure for you, um, would be pitching in Milwaukee, getting to pitch against the Brewers for, um, I think the first time in your career, yeah. I guess you pitched against them in spring training one year, mm-hmm. but never, yeah. never at home. So what was it like to kind of pitch against the hometown team that you grew up with? Yeah, that was, that was a really special series. And honestly, I'd say to this point, it's probably the highlight of my career, the high point of my baseball career. I grew up a huge Brewers fan, just like probably a lot of kids listening to this and, you know, going to Miller Park. 20 times a summer, always just dreaming of being out there on that field. I always envisioned myself pitching for the Brewers, but <laughs> you know, it's actually a little bit even more sweet getting to getting to strike out guys on the Brewers. But um, it, it also kind of worked out that I pitched in some pretty big spots yeah. in those games. You know, I got, I pitched two out of the three games and got hold, a hold in each of them. So, um, you know, it was a big spot. I had tons of family and friends in the stands, so much support. Like I, I really just was was overflowing with, you know, thankfulness for for the support and just um feeling of satisfaction of of being able to kind of um realize that childhood dream. Yeah. No, it was it was cool. It was honestly the first time that we've ever finally been able to to uh make it to a game between either the injuries or like when you made it back to the big leagues right after Tommy John is mm-hmm. for the playoffs and like Yankees playoff tickets were a little, <laughs> oh. little hard to come by for, for Lauren and I to make it out there. So, yeah. um, it was awesome. And I appreciate the Rays, uh, bullpen coach and manager for putting you in the two games that Lauren and I went to yeah. and you, oh, yeah. you rested the one that we couldn't make it. So it's yeah. fun to get you, I told them to do that just yeah. for you guys. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we put in, no. put in positive vibes out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we'll, we're just going to lobby now brewers. If you need some bullpen help, yeah. Let's bring the hometown kid home for yeah. the for the year. <laughs> it seems like it'd be a good fit to me. Yeah. But um I think that's um I mean just such a cool season. But even with all that success and with how well you pitched, um, people that followed follow you closely know that you were up and down this year. Um and I think that's one of the things like what you said that you can't focus on the results because it's like when you go out there and dominate and then you get sent back down like what else can you do Mm -hmm. um it's just roster things sometimes what is the experience like for a big leaguer or really any professional baseball player of just having to like ride that wave and and kind of be one of those guys that is on the 40 man but up and down off the major league roster yeah it, it can be tough for sure i feel like i've gone through it for long enough now that I've kind of learned how to deal with it. But it's definitely, well, once you get to the big leagues, all you want to do is stay in the big leagues. Like everything about the big leagues is so much better than AAA that it's all you can focus on is how can I stay here? And like, you know, AAA is just so much worse than this. I never (laughs) want to go back there in my life. And you know, there's there's definitely some guys who are fortunate enough 
you know, most of your star players or big league regular guys who, you know, do have that situation where they, you know, where they can go back. But the reality is most, most guys, most big league players or pro baseball guys are going to be, you know, in the position where you don't stay in the big leagues forever. You don't, you know, most of the time you're probably only going to get a cup of coffee and then be back in the minor leagues. But, um, I think it goes back to just kind of zooming out and looking at the bigger picture of, you know, your, your, what are you trying to do, um, you know, with baseball? And for me, that's, I'm trying to be the best pitcher that I can be. I'm trying to take advantage of any opportunity that I get and, you know, basically just be, be the best teammate that I can be, you know, try to, um, make, make connections and build relationships with people, whether it's teammates, coaches, fans, use the platform for, for, you know, positive things. And none of that changes when you're, when you're up and down from the big leagues to AAA. I just think it requires, uh, almost like a surrendering of, of that situation. And once you're kind of accepting of that and, and you surrender the the consequences, I think it just frees you up to, to be your best self, you know, on the field and in the clubhouse, because I've played with guys who are totally different people when they're in the big leagues as compared to when they're in AAA. you know, I, I'm talking like in the clubhouse, like just interacting with them, having conversations, like they're just angry and depressed and stressed out when they're in AAA, And then when they're in the big leagues, they'll, act like they're on top of the world. And I just don't think that's good for, for anyone's mental health. And, you know, it certainly doesn't, um, you know, build your build, build relationships in a positive way. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I've learned, I mean, I did not know very much about professional baseball till we got to know you and and kind of, uh, follow you over the past several years, but it's like, everyone wants to be a pro baseball player, but like sometimes when you actually talk to pro baseball players about, what it's like, like, don't get me wrong. It's awesome to play baseball as your job, but mm-hmm. it's not all what you just see on TV and, and sunshine and rainbows. There's really challenges and it's a, it's a yeah. tough life. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like, like you said, the fans see the games on TV and that's what they think of for pro baseball, but it's, it consumes for the players. It consumes our entire life, you know, in the off season and during the season and, um, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges There there are sacrifices that you have to make in order to, to live that lifestyle. Um, but you know, it's also the, the reward and the, um, the, the payout and the benefits are, you know, that's kind of what makes it worth it. And just, just to be able to say that you made it to the highest level of competition in the world, you know, yeah. when you're in the big leagues, you're one of the top you know, thousand baseball players in the world, then, which is, that's pretty special to say. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. when you have that perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's enough reminiscing on the good. <laughs> I, I really want to dive in into and share some insights into what went into you making it back. You kind of shared the, the whole story, but, um, you know, it's, it wasn't that easy. Um, I, distinctly remember after the stress fracture in your elbow kind of having a conversation when you came back and as you were like healing and just saying like because you and i even talked about this during your your tommy john rehab and it's something we think about with every pro baseball pitcher is it's very easy for people to sit and pick apart 
pitcher's mechanics and say, oh, he should do that better. That's inefficient. But when you're working with somebody that has already been one of the top thousand baseball players in the world, and it's like, I promise we could change a bunch of stuff and make him ideal and it wouldn't go well, right? We would, yeah. we'd make you average. Yep. Um, and so, but we, you know, I distinctly remember having this conversation where it was like, all right, at this point it's been two or three years in a row. And like those things that we like talked about or that you talked about over the years that like maybe you didn't want to fiddle with, it was like, no, you need to go find a coach and you've been working with Tread online, but like, it's like, no, you need to like go, <laughs> go and do this. Like, yeah. cause it's not, this isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so people may not realize it, that you made it back to the big leagues, not only with, not, I don't want to say totally different mechanics, but relatively reworking your mechanics and an entirely different pitch arsenal yeah. than what you went through um, or what you made it to the big leagues mm-hmm. previously, which again, I don't know if people understand how hard that is. Yeah. Um, so I guess what, outside of just the injuries, like what led you to make the mechanical changes and, and what did you... What did you kind of work on or what did you want to tweak mechanically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, to your point, yeah, I think when you're when you're talking about high-level pitchers, it's easy to say, you know, fix X, Y, or Z. But the thing you have to remember is those unique flaws, so to speak, are exactly what makes that pitcher effective. That's, you know, those those uh nuances and and you know, kind of different different things are exactly what makes that pitcher who he is and so i don't think it should be taken lightly to you know try and make big overhauls to mechanics but um yeah when it when it came to my rehab situation i just couldn't seem to get healthy and it it was pretty obvious that i needed to make some sort of change if i ever wanted to pitch competitively again so um i would say you know after after a certain amount of injuries it it was just pretty clear that i needed to to rework some things and so yeah i ended up going down to tread athletics which most pitchers have probably heard of them now and i just kind of committed to going there until i got healthy um make whatever changes you know we kind of decided on and um i don't know how specific you want to get <laughs> about it but you know for me it was it was basically my arm action, my arm path, um, that I was before the changes, I was just getting in some positions that were really, you know, putting both my, my shoulder and elbow in bad positions. Not, I wasn't using my body well. I wasn't sequencing, you know, through the kinetic chain, uh, of, you know, transferring energy through my body. I was basically just all arm and, um, it, it worked while I was younger, but as I got more miles on my arm, it, you know, my, my body stopped tolerating it. So, you know, we, we made a pretty major change to my arm action. Um, to me, it, to me, it's obvious, you know, maybe to like a layman if watching it, you, you wouldn't be able to exactly tell, yeah. but, um, with that though, came some, you know, all the challenges of learning how to command the ball again, learning how to make the ball move the way I needed it to again. And it really did feel like I was kind of going back, you know, back in time, like 10 years to, um, you know, to just being a complete novice and not having a good feel for a lot of the stuff. And I think that's a big reason why I struggled with the twins, um, because 
those that delivery was brand new to me and I just did not have a feel for you know where the ball was going and how much it was going to move and all that sort of stuff um and the only way to work through that is just getting more reps you know and and that's I think that's um a good a good takeaway too for high school kids or you know college high school and especially younger kids like if any parents have young kids who you know they're trying to get them to learn how to throw more strikes or teach them a certain pitch or whatever and i think the tendency is to want to just over coach and give them all these mechanical cues or tell them you know really focus on throwing strikes i firmly believe the the only way to develop those sort of things is through reps thousands and thousands and thousands of reps you know your body just has to get a feel for those fine motor skills and a lot of the time, I think we'd all be better off with getting out of our own way in, um, you know, in terms of like the mechanical cues and don't get me wrong. Like in my, in my situation, I had, I had a very specific feel that I wanted to feel with my arm action. You know, I wanted to feel the flip up to, you know, getting back behind my head before foot strike. And that was kind of my one cue. But within that, I, I just needed to get reps and let my body kind of figure it out. Um, but yeah, it, it took time. Um, and it was, it, it was not an easy process, but, um, yeah, it was, it ended up being worth it obviously. And, um, I did, I guess to, to address the, the pitch repertoire, I did end up adding in, um, a cutter, which was a brand new pitch and my, my breaking ball kind of turned into more of a big sweeper rather than kind of like a smaller curveball. So it, it was a couple new pitches and, you know, new delivery. And I still feel like I'm, I'm, you know, developing with that delivery. It's, I think it's going to continue to be a, a process over the next several years if I continue to play that long, but yeah, it's uh yeah, it's been a process. I want to dive into that just a shade more because this is a conversation and I'm not going to not going to call out specific high school kids, but if you're listening to this, you might know who you are that um, will be in the office and they'll be talking about like um, on, on both fronts, like, oh, I took a pitching, work with my pitching coach yesterday and I'm working on this change. And then like, I've got a game on Friday or uh, every week. It's like, oh, I've got this new change that I'm working on. Um, or one of my favorites is like, I was messing around in practice yesterday with this new way to grip a specific ball to to throw a, a new pitch and i think it's going to be really good this yeah. weekend and i know it's not that simple and every time i hear this i kind of cringe a little bit but maybe like give a little insight so you decide to essentially retool your mechanics make a pretty major change but like yeah it's thousands of balls but like what did that it's not like you just jumped on a mound and started like oh let me think about this new cue like what did it actually look like to try to make it stick like Mm -hmm. through yeah through some of those repetitions yeah it was uh, the process was you know similar to i guess building a house or you know if you were to build a house you know you got to lay the foundation first so for me the foundation was taking out every part of the delivery except the arm action so um the there's a specific drill called the 10 toes drill i've shared it on my social media before um so you can go watch that but basically it just locks your lower half in place so the lower half isn't even a factor at all the only thing that's that's working is the upper half and for 
probably two months when I was down at tread, that was the only, the only throws that I made were out of that drill because I just needed to groove that pattern of the arm, the arm swing, the arm path. And that specific drill allowed me to do it. And, you know, I started at very low intensities, you know, very deliberate and, um, focused reps each each throw of like feeling what I would want to feel and then as I got more comfortable with it then I increased the intensity over time I you know eventually I felt good throwing max intensity out of that drill and that was when I added in the lower half and and even when I added in the lower half I had a couple drills that I went through um with that you know kind of um I'm I'm drawing a blank on on what you call uh anyways like drills where you're kind of restricting yourself you know you're putting yourself in in a position where you're forcing the the lower half to move a certain way so um you just kind of keep adding on layers to what you've already built and the the final piece is you know doing it at max effort off the mound from a full delivery so i didn't just you know, say, okay, I'm going to start doing my arm action like this now and just continue throwing, you know, bullpens pitching off the mound. Like you, you may feel, and I've played with lots of guys (laughs) who are in that same situation as, as you were describing. And I've been there myself in pro ball. We call it the super dome when you're, (laughs) when you're just reaching for straws, you're, you're trying to make these mechanical changes every single week you're you've always got something new that you think is going to be the answer but the reality is you're never actually going to be making any changes all you're going to be doing is you know focusing on on you know trying to do something but your body it, your muscle memory is already programmed to to do it a certain way so i think you almost have to retrain your your muscle memory and yeah. in order to do that you just really have to regress back to kind of square one yeah so it's kind of two Two months with just the that one singular drill, basically, and then was it like maybe another couple months before you step back? Was are we talking four or yeah. five months before you stepped on a mound again and tried to incorporate it? Yeah, I think I after the after that two month period when I felt like I really had the arm action down, it did the the process seemed to go a little bit quicker for me. I was able to get a really good feel for adding in the lower half while still keeping that good arm action that I had worked on. So. I don't think there's any sort of, you know, standard, um, timeline for everybody. Everyone's going to be different. It just depends on how you're able to adjust. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're able to maintain the the right mechanics and delivery as you increase the intensity, then by all means, you know, keep, keep going with it. But it's, it, it really does take a lot of reps to drill it down and, kind of scaling down the effort level, especially at first, just being very deliberate with what you're actually trying to feel. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. I mean, giving people a little bit of science and context behind what Ben's describing is, I mean, what we're really talking about when we're making a mechanical change is motor learning and you have to teach your body a new motor pattern. And the way the human body moves is essentially, you know, all we're doing in sports is solving movement problems. And on the baseball field, there's no there's no reward for doing it the right way. Like it's just balls and strikes and velocity and performance, right? So your brain, if you don't give any constraints to your body and just focus on solely how hard am I throwing and am I getting balls and strikes, whatever way you accomplish that is how your body is going to move 
into that. And so if you want to really change something, you have to set up the environment where you are the only way to do it is the way that you want it to happen. And that's by what we call constraining the system. So putting 10 toes in one direction, not letting your lower half in, like that's a constraint. Doing these drill works and setting it up where we lock out certain positions where we essentially leave the only, there's only one way for you to do it correctly, where you immediately know that was that was good or that was bad. And that's how your brain starts zeroing in on this is like that most efficient way to to move and and gets that motor program down yeah um yeah totally and it takes time and so within the context of baseball season this is where when we have college pitchers come back and ask us should i play summer ball or um you know even high school pitchers talking about should i play fall ball something like that um a lot and i'd be curious your take on this like reflecting back on your career but a lot of times our question to you is like are you performing at the level that you want to perform at or do we want to you know are you not performing where you are and you might want to make some of these changes because you might need time out of competition i think is what i'm trying to get home to people where like you might need some time that you have like a safe to fail area that you can like you could not have made that change if you were still trying to k- pitch competitively like you would have been yeah a mess yeah. um Mm-hmm. And so like it takes time and it takes a commitment. And if you actually want to like truly make changes and like really improve, like you might need to look for a time in your baseball schedule that allows you to step out of mm-hmm. like competing and actually just develop. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one piece of advice that I would give to any young players out there is to not only fall in love with the process, but commit a lot of time to you know the training and the development um side of 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 baseball so you have the you know the competition arena and then you have the development arena and i think baseball culture in general is geared more towards competition you know you have from a young age you have travel ball clubs who are playing year round you have coaches who are um you know teaching kids that the only thing that matters is throwing strikes or putting the ball in play and those completely fail to address you know actually developing and building the foundation to have the skill set that's going to be required to play at a really high level and um I I used to, I coached a travel ball team several years ago when I lived in Phoenix and it was, it was seventh and eighth graders and all the parents and all the, all the coaches that I, that I worked with, all they cared about was winning games and, you know, how, like throwing strikes, kids putting the ball in play. And I was basically preaching the exact opposite of that. I was saying, I could care less about winning games. I could care less about pitchers throwing strikes. I want these kids to learn how to throw the ball hard. I want these kids to to find their their ideal natural deliveries in order to allow them to be athletic and dynamic. I don't want them looking like a bunch of robots out there trying to throw darts into the strike zone because you don't see major league pitchers like that. And you know, from from the hitting perspective, I I would say try and swing for the fences every time. I don't care if you strike out because you need to learn how to swing hard. And it's kind of, you know, kind of 
going against the grain of, of baseball culture in general. But, um, I think from like a year, like a year round scheduling perspective, I think you need to have at least half the year. And that's if you're, you know, in, in the pro college or pro level, at least half the year committed to purely developing, find the weaknesses or find the the areas that you need to improve in and get to work, you know, going to the gym, doing, doing all the things you need to do. If you're younger than that, you know, if you're a high school kid, I would say three fourths of the year should be spent just developing, getting stronger, you know, learning how to move right and playing other sports even can go into that because that is developing you as a, as a general athlete. But I think, um, yeah, to baseball, baseball culture as a whole should really, um, back off the, you know, the focus on competition. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a huge, huge rule. And I think, you know, in high school and kind of what you said, there's nothing wrong with playing travel ball and playing games and maybe just shifting again, shifting your focus to like, okay, I didn't perform my best, but I'm working on this new thing right now. And like, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I learned, I learned something today. Like yep. I'm working on it. It's a process. Like, don't, don't just trash this new thing that you're learning. Oh, like mm-hmm. that doesn't work. And it's like, well, yep. maybe it would work in three weeks. Like if you just yeah. stick with it, you yeah. know, uh, my first year, um, I was drafted by the Cleveland guardians and they, you know, they, they had a, a mental skills coach who talked to all the players right away. And, um, she said, one of the first things she said was, in this organization, we want you to have a process oriented mindset, not a results oriented mindset. And that's something that's stuck with me my entire career. And it's, you know, maybe a little cliche, but the, a player with a process oriented mindset has such an advantage over, over the, the results oriented mindset, because you see failures as a learning opportunity. You see you know, things that you're bad at as an opportunity to get better. You are constantly looking for new and better ways to improve. Whereas the results oriented mindset player only cares about how did I perform today? You're you're riding the emotional roller coaster. You know, you're, you're in the clouds after you, you know, you have a great game and then you're in the dumps after you have a bad game. And, um, it's, that's that's just not how high level players go about their their careers and their development you know high level players are focused on the process of getting better and competing against yourself trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be and developing a lifestyle of habits that are going to contribute towards being a better baseball player yeah so much good stuff in that <laughs> we could uh we could we could go down and i mean i i think it, it's just something that stands out to me and um i just would reiterate to to people all the time that i think one of the unique experiences with my career with between being around people like you and other pro players that we work with now at kinetic but then like back to um being in the green bay packers organization and, and getting to be around that environment it's like yeah there, don't get me wrong there's there are physical differences in stars versus you know average pros versus guys who just don't don't make it but the number one thing in my opinion is just you can just tell by their mindset and their work like work ethic is like simplifying it too much because like you can just work hard but like that you have to it's not enough like you have to work hard on the right things and Mm -hmm. 
it's just the the approach to the game and the willingness to work and wanting to learn and never just like settling and never like being okay to be like content like yeah i i i'm one of the best thousand baseball players like it's okay to step back and appreciate that but then like wanting to continue to work on it like that's what sets people that make it to next levels versus people that don't in my yeah opinion experience yeah i i remember um i don't know if it was this year last year on the show hard knocks maybe you're familiar with it but the when it they were um deciding on cuts you know the every year they the nfl teams bring in you know 80 or 100 players or whatever and they got to cut it down to 50 some so they have to let a lot of guys go and it's always a big decision of who to keep and I remember this one particular team, you know, the coach said he he was talking to the other coaches and he said, I want that guy on my team because he's going to get the absolute most out of himself. He's going to become the best version of himself that he can be. And that's, you know, that's kind of what what it reminded me of, like, not everybody's going to be a star. I like even myself, for example, like I chances are probably that I'm never going to win a Cy Young or go to the Hall of Fame. And I'm totally okay with that because my only goal is to be the best version of myself that I can be. And I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, doing that and consistently, you know, setting up my, my training and my habits to, to work towards that. And so I wouldn't, I would encourage all younger players to not, not necessarily compare yourself to everyone else or, try and be the best, you know, the best in the world, but rather just be the best version of yourself that you can be. Find your own ceiling. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, real quick before we get out of the baseball weeds here, um, on the, on the new pitches, cause again, this is just something that we hear a lot. Like I practice fingering this pitch differently and I, I think I'm going to throw it this weekend. <laughs> right. Like um, you kind of, I think the, the rationale behind your learning new pitches is related to your mechanical changes. So like balls were moving differently, things like that. But once you decide, okay, we're going to go down this new, like, I'm going to learn this new pitch mm-hmm. before you throw it to a live hitter in a game, what goes into that process? Cause I don't, I don't think people maybe fully appreciate, like it's more than just like, Oh, let me try to grip the ball differently and see what happens. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that technology has changed a lot over the years um when i first got into the minor league when i first was drafted in 2013 i really did not have any sort of breaking ball and so you know cleveland taught me the breaking ball that i was throwing at the time but that was before TrackMan or rapsodo any of these things where you're kind of measuring it so in a way it was kind of just shooting in the dark but the the main principle was that you just need to get a lot of reps with it and you know kind of get a feel for throwing it like you know throwing several several bullpens like I, you know i would say the minimum amount of bullpens that i would feel comfortable with before taking it in a game would probably be 10 but if not a lot more than that um but with the use of with with technology now with um trackman specifically when you can see exactly how your ball is moving and you can see the metrics on it and um you know and you kind of have an idea of what you're shooting for what you're trying to get the pitch to do i think that can actually speed up the process quite a bit as long as you have a feel for command of it which um so for me this year the really the the brand new pitch was the cutter um 
And for whatever reason, I just had a good feel for throwing that in the strike zone. Um, and so I started throwing it in spring training and TrackMan validated that the pitch was moving how we wanted it to move. And I was throwing it at the right velocity. All metrics said, you know, this pitch is a major league pitch. So then it became just a case of, do I feel comfortable throwing it in games? And, um, you know, being in a spring training setting where the consequences are not quite as extreme, you, ha- you know, you have a little bit more wiggle room for for failure. Um, I, I did kind of just commit to throwing it a ton and and I, I ended up getting an even better feel for it. So I think that goes back to just getting reps like yeah. all that's that's a common theme that you'll pick up on with with baseball and same with golf, too, or lots of other sports. Yeah. Right. Like you just with when it comes to like those fine motor skills, you just need reps. And I would, I would typically say that those reps should be done in as low of a leverage of environment as possible, you know, practice situation, or maybe throwing to, you know, your own teammates, like a live batting practice, but you're not just going to all of a sudden say like, you know, mid season, like I'm going to start throwing a curveball and <laughs> just go start flipping it in and dicing kids up in, in a game. Like yeah. there has to be, a process that goes into it. Um, and maybe some, some players will pick it up quicker than others, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely just a a situation of, of getting a feel and, and knowing that the pitch is doing what you want it to do. Yeah. Maybe we should do a, maybe we should do a baseball sickos only podcast with you and Keller and, uh, you guys could go into the, uh, into the pitch metrics, uh, uh, just absolute weeds, but nerd out if, um, I mean, just as a, do you have a take on how many, how many pitches do you think like a high school or college pitcher should be throwing or like really working on? Um, yeah. Like in a, in a repertoire. Yeah. Like, because mm-hmm. I just, I I've been having this more and more again where, where athletes will come in and we'll be talking to them and I'll, it's usually a question that I ask mm-hmm. initially, like what pitches do you throw? And it's, <laughs> been pretty common recently to be like, well, I have a two seam and a four seam and I throw a slider and a curveball yeah. and a change up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to learn a cutter. Yeah. And it's like, like, right. Yeah. I think back to you and I'm like, God, Ben was a major le- leaguer and essentially you threw one pitch. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. like the little yeah. known fact, like last time you made it up, you basically threw sliders. Yep. Yeah. Um, well to that point, I would say it's better to have one elite pitch rather than four average pitches. Yeah. But I understand where the kids are coming from because they want to be like pitchers on MLB the show where you have, you know, you have five, every pitcher throws five pitches and it's really fun to pitch like that in a video game, but <laughs> that's just not anywhere close to reality and I don't think people understand how rare and difficult it is for a pitcher to truly have even four major league average pitches. So that being said, I would, I would say for high schoolers, get your fastball figured out, you know, both in terms of movement and, and command, like, are you going to be a four seam guy or are you going to be a two seam guy? You you probably shouldn't be both most (laughs) like really, you should not be, there's not a lot of guys who throw four seams and two seams, figure out what, you know, which fastball profile plays best from your from your arm slot with your you know deception all these things that go into it and 
learn how to get guys out with your fastball. Ideally, learn, like, get it to the point where you can get a lot of swing and misses on your fastball in the strike zone. That is the ultimate sign of dominance of in in any pitcher is if you can get swing and misses on your fastball that are thrown in the strike zone if you can do that you will continue to advance to higher and higher levels so that's priority number one after that i would say figure out one off-speed pitch whether it's you know some form of a breaking ball being slider or curveball or something in between that and and or a changeup. Um, you know, I kind of go back and forth on the changeup. Like the metrics say, like what all the major league teams and analytics departments are finding is that changeups are actually not really that effective. Like on average, now, don't get me wrong, you have a lot of outlier guys with really good changeups, and so maybe that's you know maybe that's going to be some kids, but I don't think a changeup is like a mandatory part of a repertoire, like what we used to think it was and kind of old school coaching will say um if you can throw a change up that is like devin williams where it's essentially a, a curveball from the opposite handed pitcher that's amazing and throw that a lot but um i would say you know find find the off-speed pitch that feels the most natural to you and then just throw that a ton and and add that to your fastball and that's really for the most part what you need like and you know so then as as you kind of advance once you really master two then you could start mixing in three but really under no circumstance unless you're like a potential first round draft pick would i say go beyond three pitches like there's really no reason to throw four or more pitches unless you are a first round draft pick and in that case I tip my cap to you because you're probably a stud. Yeah, so yeah. You can do you're, whatever you want. Yeah, you're a dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that's really good advice. Um, again, I just think that, um, it, again, I just bring you all these conversations that I have in my office and in the back of my brain talking to you guys. I'm like, that doesn't sound like the way that <laughs> we should be approaching this, but I think it's always good to, to, hear it from people that are actually doing it and, and have kind of been been through this. And uh, I mean, I think I remember a couple of years with the Yankees where like the analytics department was like trying to get you to throw less pitches. Where it's like, no, like literally mm -hmm. just throw your slider. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, because the what what the data shows is that you're going to be pitchers are going to be at their best when they throw their best pitch more often. And that's pretty much always the case, especially if you have a really, really good pitch. And so for for any any kid who wants to play at the highest level possible you're going to need at least one elite pitch um and so you know maybe i should kind of differentiate like if you're a high school pitcher who's throwing 70 miles an hour and you don't really have a desire to throw or to pitch beyond high school or maybe a low level college by all means throw five pitches go throw knuckleballs in games have fun like that's you just have to know what your goal is and yeah. you know what you're trying to do but um if you're trying to play baseball at the highest level possible you need to figure out what pitch is elite and lean into that and embrace it and then and you kind of build your repertoire off that so you know if you have a four seam fastball that is has a lot of like good ride like you know, like a Josh Hader fastball or Justin Verlander type fastball, you really, you know, your entire goal is how do I make that pitch 
play up even more, which for those guys, it's like throwing a hard slider that looks exactly like it out of the hand and then just kind of breaks off it. Like it wouldn't make sense for those guys to throw a big loopy curveball that, you know, pops up and then goes down, never looks like the fastball. So I think a good kind of a good starting point for for kids is like figure out what pitch is elite, what what's your best pitch. And then when thinking about your other repertoire, um, what what can make that pitch play up even more, make make hitters be off balance on that. That's awesome. Um, I just briefly want to talk about your like the mental approach to pitching. So I think that's something that just talk, talking to you about during the season, um, I'd be just curious to get your take on if anything, um, may I'll give you my, my, uh, from 20,000 square feet or 20,000 feet talking to you over throughout the season. It seemed like you were maybe more freed up in the big leagues and you've been in your entire career because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways you didn't really know if you were going to get back. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like, my perspective was you're like, I'm here and like yeah. mission accomplished. Like not that you didn't care about the outcome, like you wanted to do your best, but it was like, uh, maybe you're a little bit more free. Whereas in the past, like it was always, I just like so much pressure to, to stay there and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. And then I've, you also made mention that like the pitching coach for the Braves really encouraged you to like attack hitters and like not, not be afraid of making mistakes. Um, which, mm-hmm. um, yeah. With, with some of the other organizations and pitching coaches is maybe uh mm-hmm. maybe it was you know a couple of guys would just yell at you to throw more strikes from the <laughs> from the bullpen yeah. um i guess how do you feel like there was a change in your mental approach to pitching and um how do you think i mean do you think it's different for each pitcher on how you need to approach like the mental side of pitching or do you think there are some commonalities that that people that are successful pitchers can really share and, and learn from each other on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me personally, I I definitely did feel a shift this year. Um, I felt like I was kind of playing with house money, so to speak. Um, took a lot of the pressure off myself. You know, I was I was thankful just to to have a a job and be able to compete. And it was kind of just like, let's go out there and see what happens instead of going out there and feeling like I have to succeed. I have to do well, because as soon as you do that, you're just, you're, you're tensing up and you're, you're not going to be free to just, you know, move. One thing that I've noticed throughout my career is a lot of, a lot of the best players who I've played with are almost space cadets to a certain extent like when it comes to you know caring about how like they they come across like they don't care and it's so counterintuitive because obviously we care we all care so much but how can you just completely let go of the consequences and the results and and just be okay with failure and you know for some guys i think that that comes naturally um just to to not put so much weight and pressure on yourself, but for other guys like myself, you know, it kind of comes through experiences or, or forced into, into having to do that because it's your only way to succeed. Um, but I, I think there's more to the mental game than just that, you know, you kind of have things like arousal levels. Like, are you a player who, who does better when you're like hyper aggressive or, you know, over caffeinated or listening to heavy metal music right before? Are you better when you're super relaxed and, you know, kind of just 
very smooth and, and easy. Um, you know, you kind of have guys who like with the mental game, you know, how do you, how do you analyze your performances? Are you, you know, are you somebody who likes to really reflect on everything that went, went well, what didn't go well, you know, kind of, I've, I've dabbled with like visualizing, like after a bad game, I'll run through the game in my mind, but imagine that everything went better. And it's kind of like a way of, of, you know, of planting those positive seeds in my head instead of just letting that bad outing fester. Um, or, you know, maybe some guys can just easily turn the page after a bad game, no problem. So I think there's a lot that goes into, um, into the mental game. It's, it is very individual based, but I would say something that, um, is, is kind of a a common theme with everybody is, is that you need to be okay with failing because baseball is, is a game of extreme failures, both as a hitter and a pitcher. And you're going to fail. You're going to face a lot of adversity eventually. And the only way to make it through that is by accepting that it's going to happen, seeing failures as an opportunity to learn and grow and, and, you know, just continuing to push forward. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. All right. So that this doesn't turn into a three hour podcast, we've got a whole section that we're not going to get into today on pitch routines. And maybe we could even dive into a little bit of like how to attack and, and take apart a pitcher and or a, a hitter and things like that. So we'll, uh, yeah. before you go back to spring training, we'll do one more podcast yeah. for, uh, for everyone. Let's wrap it up with a couple of just fun questions for people. Um, if you were like baseball commissioner, not just MLB, because don't want you in trouble with major league baseball, but just all of baseball for youth little league through, through MLB. Um, even the Olympics now, I guess is, uh, would be incorporated. Do you have, do you have anything that you change about the sport or the game or the, um, how anything, uh, uh, works that way. I think I'd probably stop changing the game. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd, uh, I'd leave the game as is and try to, um, you know, make like figure out how to market it a little better. I guess maybe one change would be, um, shortening the season, like, especially if, if we're talking youth at a youth level, I, I would try and, you know, really encourage kids to not be playing year round, spend a lot more time developing. And even on the big league side, I think there could be some benefits to short shortening the season. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. High school players are starting to ramp up throwing, kind of getting ready for spring seasons that start, um, you know, shockingly soon when there's still snow on the ground here, but, um, you have the best high school baseball memory. I threw a no hitter in high school with throwing only fastballs in the game, except for one pitch. I threw one curveball, but it actually hit an opposing hitter in the head. And that was the only <laughs> guy who reached base. Every every other pitch was a fastball through a no hitter and struck out like eighteen guys. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was probably my bad. Um, any like, kind of quick little uh, short hit advice? I know there's lots of advice for for high school players in this, but just starting their off season, getting ready to ramp up. Um, any advice for high schoolers as they go into this season? Listen to your body. Listen to your arm. Don't try and push through discomfort and. Yeah, just give yourself plenty of time to to ramp up. If you're a high schooler and you're actually starting to get ready for the season right now, you have plenty of time. You're at a huge advantage. Don't 
don't you know go too crazy especially if you're coming off a long extended period of not throwing um yeah i would say that's probably the biggest mistake is just adding way too much workload way too soon for yeah. for high school kids for sure shameless little plug ben uh ben did write a uh like kind of a little ebook honestly with with a throwing program included so if you're a high schooler and you're you have no structure and you're like i don't know what to do right now um hit the link in our instagram bio or head over to our website and uh mm-hmm. or just shoot us an email or a dm and we will send you um ben's like ebook that he put together with a just modified kind of mock throwing program for for your average high school kid not probably not enough for like a truly elite arm to follow if we're talking kids that are throwing 90 95 but mm-hmm. you know if you're just a run-of-the-mill high school player trying to develop and you just have no structure um we'd be happy to help you out with yeah. that to try to keep you healthy Absolutely. all right and then favorite strikeout this season Ooh, man there were a lot of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would have to say um oh man Probably Nolan Arenado, just because of the name of yeah. who he is, you know, future Hall of Famer. Um, anytime you strike out a, a future Hall of Famer, that's pretty special. But um, probably my my first strikeout of the first batter that I faced in my first game back, I struck him out on probably the best slider that I've ever thrown in my life. So that that probably takes the cake. Yeah, you made a you made a couple of people look look a little silly this year <laughs> there were there were some uh some good ones so yeah well man i was uh i'm super appreciative of the time i think i mean i would really encourage some some high school and college pitchers that that really want to develop to listen to this more than one time and um ben is incredibly giving with his time um both on podcasts like this he creates content on um, some of his social media channels and um you know honestly might share too much of his time with uh conversations and, and trying to help people he truly truly loves the sport and the game and um is has a lot of great perspective so um hopefully you guys all really appreciate this and are able to take stuff away and um, thank you for the time and see if we can track down a little bit more time to uh to talk about kind of routines as a reliever and some of what you've learned about taking care of your body over the years and uh um, see if we can share a little bit of that in the in the future yeah absolutely thanks for having me on yeah absolutely thank you everyone for listening and we will see you guys on the next episode hey wait a minute are you a baseball player that's getting ready for your season right now do you want to learn what it takes to keep your arm healthy and perform at a high level all season long let's face it injuries and arm injuries in particular are only expanding in baseball right now if you get hurt it is going to impact your development your ability to compete and help your team, as well as just the fun of playing the sports you love with your teammates and friends. We have a free online mini course that goes through exactly what you need to do to prepare your arm and to keep your arm healthy all season long. You can find this course and sign up at the link in our bio on Instagram at kinetic underscore SMP or in the show notes to this podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. Hit that link, sign up to get access to the course today.